earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you out driving? Are you home? Maybe somewhere else on your mobile device? Catching the podcast? Friends, we're in the midst of a new topic, touching others with our faith. Our goal is discovering some ways we can reach out to people in our circles of relationships or spheres of influence by entering into naturally occurring spiritual conversations and being Christ followers in everyday life. Part one was looking with Jesus' eyes. Part two was listening to the Spirit's voice. Today, part three will be living out the Savior's call. If you've tuned in for the first time or missed any installments, don't worry. The podcasts are freely available at faithtalk1360.com. Just search for local program podcasts. To begin today's lesson, I'd like to share with you a handful of brief but true cameos that I believe exemplify in several different life settings our influence or lack of influence in people's lives. First, back in May of 1934, a Charlotte, North Carolina farmer loaned his pasture to some 30 local business owners for a day to praying for the city of Charlotte. It seems the Depression era had spread spiritual apathy through the city. Despite the indifferences of the local ministers' association, these Christian businessmen planned to hold an evangelistic outreach later that year. Well, during their day of prayer on the farmer's field, the coordinator prayed, Lord, raise up someone out of Charlotte to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. They also planned to erect a large tabernacle to serve as the evangelistic campaign stage, so to speak. When September came, a fiery southern evangelist shattered the complacency of churchgoers in Charlotte for 11 weeks. And to top it off, God answered those prayers in that farmer's field back in May because the farmer who loaned his field for the prayer meeting was a Mr. Graham and his son Billy became a Christian during those September meetings. And the rest is history, or as I like to say, his story. Well, second, C. Ray Dobbins, editor of a Christian newspaper, recalls the story of a passenger seated next to him on one of his routine flights. 
Dobbins' seatmate told him about a flight he was on from Miami where 65 psychiatrists were coming from a convention. During that flight, a woman passenger got ill and became mentally upset and disoriented, yet not one of those doctors offered any help. The plane had to divert to Nashville so the woman could be rushed to a hospital. Dobbins' seatmate then said, Life's like that. Then he added, There's a great deal of intelligence and expertise in the world, but often it is no help in the face of human needs. The response of Christians is many times the same. We see great spiritual need. As Christians, we have the answer to help. In fact, we go to great lengths to say we have what this world needs. But in many situations, we continue unresponsive. Like the psychiatrists, we sit in another section and assume that we are guiltless. Where's the courage to care? Ouch! Oh, okay. Third, in Elton Trueblood's book, The Yoke of Christ, he quotes a letter from a schoolgirl who was obviously doing some soul-searching. In that letter, she says, I've been thinking much this year about the importance of caring. I've often realized that it takes courage to care. Caring is dangerous. It leaves you open to hurt and to looking like a fool. I have found many places in my own life where I keep a secret store of indifference as a sort of self-protection. Whoa! Now there's some food for thought, huh, friends? Well, fourth... A young Christian man was seated on a flight from Denver bound to Wichita. He noticed the last passenger to board was lifted off of an ambulance litter, a 200-plus pound man, probably 25 or so. He continues, As the attendants cradled him into a seat in front of me, it became clear this guy was paralyzed from the shoulders down. He was strapped in pretty tightly, but as the plane taxied to the runway, the centrifugal force lunged him to the right, so he fell forward into the seat in front of him. One of the flight attendants scurried over and quickly propped him back up. As soon as we were airborne, food began to be served. As I was finishing my meal, I noticed the paralyzed man with his meal in front of him, but no one was feeding him. My eyes began to well up with tears. The flight attendants were obviously very busy serving food to the other passengers. Unfortunately, this man was traveling alone. I motioned to a flight attendant, but they didn't seem free to help feed him, so I volunteered to help. One flight attendant then thanked me for my help, so I began cutting his food into bite-sized pieces. As I placed each piece in his mouth, I felt awkward and a bit conspicuous, yet I knew I was really needed. The man began telling me his story, his unfortunate accident, his loneliness, joys, struggles, his faith, his hope. Our spirits united. I would almost say it became sacramental. After I sat back down, I was humbled as I thought of all the people who had had the good news of the gospel set before them. It's available, but there's no one to feed them, because they are crippled with psychological and spiritual paralysis. The Holy Spirit then reminded me of Jesus' words, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. 
Okay, fifth and lastly, one Sunday service during testimony time, an evangelist described his mother as love personified. One particular experience stood out till this day. As a boy, I remember my mom sitting at our table one day with a vagabond. She had gone shopping, met him, and she invited him home for a warm meal. During their conversation, the vagabond said, I sure wish there were more people like you in the world. Mom replied, Oh, there are, but you just have to look for them. The old man simply shook his head and said, But lady, I didn't look for you. You looked for me. When Mom showed her Christian kindness toward him, she did something more than just offer him welfare. It was a compassion that went out of its way to love the unlovely. He then closed, Isn't that the story of our Savior? Jesus came looking for us, the sick, the maimed, the lame, the bruised, the broken-hearted, the wretched wanderers, the poor and forgotten, the prisoner, the lonely. Need I say more? Who will Jesus find next through you? Friends, please remember our ministry mantra. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Did you happen to notice how the key players in most of these cameos fit into that template? There's the Lord through the Holy Spirit, the one with the divine resources. There are human needs to meet, represented by several people experiencing a crisis of one sort or another. Opportunities just waiting for the arrival of a loving channel. And there are several loving channels represented by available people who have their spiritual antenna up and are looking with Jesus' eyes and listening to the Holy Spirit's voice. Friends, so far we've been looking at how God sovereignly engineers seeming coincidences. In fact, I've been proposing to us all that God is actually in the business of sovereignly engineering circumstances in people's lives, just so that he can love them through us. That's why I'm sharing the engineer's prayer, as I call it. Lord, engineer circumstances in people's lives today so that you can love them through me. Have you been courageous enough to pray that prayer yet and see what God does? Well, we've looked at Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 and the account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Today in part 3 we'll take a closer look at the very familiar account of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. The first lesson on the Samaritan woman at the well was called looking with Jesus' eyes. In other words, examining spiritual sight. The second lesson on Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch was called listening with the Spirit's voice. In other words, examining spiritual hearing. And today our third lesson is called living out the Savior's call. In other words, examining spiritual action. Our text will be Luke ten twenty-five through 37. But before I read it, there's something supremely important about where it is positioned in Luke. I've said countless times in my classes that context is crucial. So I'm going to point out that Luke chapter 10 opens with the topic of evangelism and Jesus sending out the 70 with this caveat. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among the wolves. And interestingly, friends, the closing verses just prior to this account of the Good Samaritan, verses 23 and 24, say this, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Okay, so here's Luke ten twenty five through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the story continues. You know some of that. Jesus defines a neighbor for him by saying, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man that had been beaten, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the beaten man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, or we could say moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out some money and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus then said, Go and do likewise. My own personal paraphrase of that last line is, Go and show. In other words, go and show the same compassion. Friends, let's just take a moment and review who the priests and Levites were. Priests and Levites were from a common ancestry, the tribe of Levi, but their offices were different. The priests were descended from a specific branch of Levites, through Aaron. The Levites comprised all the descendants of Levi in general and acted as assistants to the priests. One way the priests stood out from the Levites was that they acted as mediators between the people and God and offered the sacrifices for sin. And let's review who the Samaritans were. If you were with us in part one, you may recall that the bitter racial hostility existed between Jews and Samaritans. It was so hostile, in fact, that Jews considered them as unclean, and they would become ceremonially unclean if they used any utensils that the Samaritans touched. When traveling between Jerusalem and Galilee, typically a three-day trip, Jews journeying through Samaria could count on Samaritans not offering them any overnight shelter. Because of this deep-rooted racial animosity, Jews would rather avoid going through Samaria, preferring to travel the route east of the Jordan River, which added an extra 30 miles to their trip. 
And let me just say, shame on the priests and Levites. Shame on these religious leaders perpetuating the hatred even when someone was in need. So who ends up setting the example? The reviled and despised Samaritan who took pity on the beaten man showing compassion or was moved with mercy, as Luke 10.34 indicates. Compassion was a common trait of Jesus's. Matthew 9.36 says, And seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Interesting, right? Jesus' compassion for the multitudes is curiously said in the context of evangelism. Now, similar to our previous two lessons, this account reveals a lot about how the Samaritan approached and treated the attacked and beaten man and provides another model for us. Maybe I should add WWSD to my previous marketing campaigns. You know, what would the Samaritan do? Well, friends, let's take a closer look at this good Samaritan and observe what characteristics or traits he exhibits in this story. First, like Jesus, he made himself available. In the midst of his regular activity, the Good Samaritan came where the man was and went to him, according to verses 33 and 34. He didn't just leave him a business card or a synagogue bulletin and say, Come see me when you're well and we'll talk. An opportunity showed itself and he made himself available. Second, like Jesus, he showed patience mixed with compassion. Again, in verses 33 and 34, we see this. The word used here is a broad and rich word. It carries the idea of pity, compassion, tender mercy, all qualities of a caring person. Third, like Jesus, his care was mixed with love. And as we all know, biblical love is love in action. Biblical love demonstrates its qualities by living something out. And fourth, like Jesus, he met the immediate need. This is represented by the actions the Samaritan took, bandaging his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, putting the man on his donkey and taking him to an inn to recover per verses 34 and 35. Now, friends, I noticed a few missing pieces of the puzzle here. There are some unresolved aspects to this story. There are some unanswered questions left for us to wonder about. For example, what became of the man after he got well? Did the Samaritan ever tell him about God? Did the man ever get saved? And it is this lack of information about the spiritual outcome that has led many Christians to deduce that the moral of the story, the lesson we're to take home, so to speak, is simply that this story is meant to convict us of our social responsibility to our fellow human beings and to remind us of via guilt that we're not doing enough for others. But friends, you want to know what my take is on this? 
if this is all we are to get from this story, we've really missed its central truth, and we will have done ourselves in the scriptures a great disservice. For you see, the same template we've been discussing for the past two weeks applies to this story as well. Friends, let's not forget our ministry mantra. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And the careful reading and observing Christ follower knows we have to read between the lines a little to notice certain things. For instance, the divine resources are sort of in the background. God is not specifically mentioned, is he? But is God any less at work here? Didn't God engineer circumstances in the attacked man's life so that his love could be demonstrated through a loving channel such as the Samaritan? What? A Samaritan being a loving channel for God? Never, the Jews would say. And the careful observer of the text would have to admit that human need was met through a loving channel. And a harder question here would be, does God get the glory in this story? You see, friends, I'm thoroughly convinced that until we set this story in its context of evangelism and understand that the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few, we won't come away excited about the opportunities that God engineers for us to touch someone with our faith. Touching others with our faith sometimes means recognizing stepping stones to final belief. Notice that one characteristic of our two previous lessons, one stepping stone or the first stepping stone may simply be meeting a person's immediate needs, like this good Samaritan did, to the glory of God. Friends, in our last study, I mentioned Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Well, Titus 3.14 adds, And let our people, and that's us Christ followers, also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, that they may not be unfruitful. The ultimate admonishment, of course, comes from Jesus himself, who said, Let your light shine before people, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Well, friends, I have two additional short but appropriate cameos with which to close out our time. The first is a true story about a businessman who one night turned his life over to Jesus Christ. Sometime after that, on one particular morning, he was late getting to his train for work. In his hurry on the platform, he bumped into a small boy holding a puzzle in his hand, scattering the pieces all over the platform. But instead of rushing on, he stopped stooped down and helped pick up the puzzle pieces while he watched his train pull out of the station. When the boy finished picking up the puzzle pieces with him, the boy looked up into the man's face and asked, Mister, are you Jesus? And lastly, during the Crimean War, one night Florence Nightingale was passing through a hospital ward. She paused to bend over the bed of a wounded soldier. As she looked down on him with eyes of compassion, the young man looked up at her and said, You are Christ, come to me. Back in 1988, Wayne Watson wrote a song called Untouched by Human Hands. Please listen to a sampling of the lyrics. 
the plague, generations, leprosy, unspeakable shame, untouchable lives, much in need of love. But these days, who's got much to give? Give in to the pressure, cross the street on the other side. When Jesus told the listening that those who follow him could bear the strike of a serpent, could drink the poison in. Was his vision some spectacular scene, some exhibition, some display, or a reminder as I live and breathe to reach out and not be afraid? I try to be a godly man. I try to walk in the steps of Jesus. I disregard the Lord's command when I walk through my journey untouched by human hands. Untouched by human hands. God save the dying ones who must live with regret out of the streets, out there where no one can see. Oh, Lord, stretch forth your hand and reach them through me. Friends, a fitting passage of scripture to close out our study today is Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. God has raised from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great shepherd of the sheep as the result of his blood, by which the eternal covenant is sealed. May the God of peace provide you with every good thing you need in order to do his will, and may he through Jesus Christ do in us what pleases him. Well, friends, I can see that we're at the end of today's program. I hope this journey you're taking with me into touching others with our faith is helping us all to be looking with Jesus' eyes, listening to the Spirit's voice, and living out the Savior's call. And let's continue and include in our prayers the people around us who need Jesus. Let's pray the engineer's prayer. Amen. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me and share your experiences and feedback. Please also consider joining the support team. I'll give you the details. Please remember that the podcasts are available at faithtalk1360.com. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends. If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.